Let's take our Bibles. Let's turn open to Romans 12. We're talking about the gifts and the body. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and read through to the end of where we left off at the end of verse 8, just to get a, a brief summarization of the things that we've covered so far. Chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, offering our bodies, because of what Jesus Christ has done, is just a reasonable thing to do. It only makes sense that we would say, Jesus, because you've accomplished everything that we could ever possibly need, my hands on my life is going to lead to less, both in this life and both eternally speaking. So the best thing I can do is to sacrifice myself in a living way for your purposes. This is our responsibility as priests and believers. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Notice how this is set up. World versus God. World versus God. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed. How does that happen? By the renewing of your mind with the scriptures. That's how that happens. That's how the mind is renewed. Notice what it says. So that, here's your reason, you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the next time somebody comes to you and says, I just wish I knew what God's will was for my life, ask the question, have you been allowing for the scriptures to renew your mind? That's where you start. You don't tell them, well, the will of God is this, 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 and this. If they're not convinced of it first from God's word, it doesn't matter. You gave them a shortcut and you actually sent them to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. And even if you roll a snake eyes, you're not getting out, right? Okay. So notice, we want to know what God's will is. Verse three, four, here's the explanation. Through the grace given to me, Paul, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. All of us are one body, but all of us are different. God has equipped us all differently. And so in renewing our minds and knowing the will of God, one of the greatest things that our minds should be settled on is who we are. Who has God made us? And to not be puffed up with pride and think there's so many things that we're about that we can't do. It is okay to say, I don't have a speaking spiritual gift. Therefore, I don't care to ever be up in front of anybody. That's discernment. And that's great. And that doesn't make you a bad person by any means. Especially when we get to the idea of the gift of mercy. Well, I wish I was that person. Well, don't. God didn't equip you to be that way. Think of yourself soberly according to the word of God. Be truthful. That's all that they're asking is to have a right mind about it. Verse 4, just as we have many members in one body, right? Feet, ankles, knees, toes. I think I'm a hip. I don't know. But your body all has different parts, but it's all one body, yes? So notice, we all have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. Ever tried to scratch your ear with your big toe? Some of you are like, I can't even think like that. Okay. Doesn't make sense, does it? Don't have the same function. Verse 5, or sorry, we do not have all the same function. Verse 5, so we who are many are one body in Christ. That's our location. And individually, 
members one of another. That means we need to start thinking of ourselves as a separate but unified whole. Can you be an individual? Can you be unique? Well, absolutely. Why would you not want to be what God's created you to be? But does that mean that we are all tethered to one another in the body of Jesus Christ? We absolutely are. So when someone hurts, we should all hurt. When someone rejoices, we should all rejoice. We should all have that response. We should all be seeking to minister to the needs of one another. Why is that? Because when one part of the body hurts, it causes the rest of the body to be affected. At least it should be. If it's not, we should recognize where a problem is of not thinking of ourselves as interlocked together. That's exactly how we are in the body. Is it okay to be an individual? Yes, it is. But you are part of the body of Christ. And therefore, all of our ministry opportunities are one another, one another, one another every time. So it says here, verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, not everybody has the same spiritual gift. Each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. Now remember this, first category is prophecy or speaking. If it's prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, and if service, second category, excuse me, in his serving, or he who teaches, prophecy category, in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, prophecy category. Remember, exhorters make great biblical counselors. Also, he who gives with liberality, that's the serving category, ministry category. He who leads with diligence, not being slow, not being slothful, not being pokey. I saw a translation that said pokey. Is that good? Man, that, that sorts it out well. You know some pokey people? Yes, don't be like that is what it's saying. When you're in there to give, do so with unpokiness. Or sorry, if you're there to lead with unpokiness. And also he who shows mercy, also the serving gift, with cheerfulness. So, so far, we've got two categories, speaking, serving, and we've got exhortation and teaching under one category, the speaking, and we have leading, we have giving, and we have mercy under the serving categories. Now, that's all we've dealt with so far, and we're not going to get to more specific spiritual gifts until in January when we start moving through 1 Corinthians 12 and we start unfolding those. And that's when we'll get into some of the more spectacular gifts and whether or not they're still valid for today. So how many of you, real quick, because we're, we're getting ready to move into, because we're picking up where we're, we're we, need, we need to get through this chapter to understand the whole context of how this goes on. How many of you have ever made pancakes? I mean, I'm talking like, okay, you didn't just heat them up in the microwave. Okay, great. And when you do so in the batter, how many has ever made pancakes and put something in the pancake in order to spice up the pancake, blueberries, chocolate, something like that. Some of chocolate, yes, some of us have, right? You know the fans, that's good. Imagine this, in that bowl of batter that you deal with and you're mixing it up. The spiritual gifts are the little something extra that have been added into this. But really what creates the substance of all of it is what? The batter, yes? Yeah. Notice that the spiritual gifts are placed within the realm of the body as a whole. And so there's something that's got to characterize the body as a whole that is a mainstay because regardless of spiritual gifts are being exercised currently or not, 
those qualities should still create an environment or an atmosphere that encourages those things to happen. In fact, I would say this, spiritual gifts, since they are spiritual, cannot happen to the glory of God unless they're done spiritually. Now, I know you sit here and you go, well, yeah, that's a dumb statement. But how often do we try to serve the Lord without knowing our spiritual gift? without worrying about anything else that's supposed to categorize or surround our spiritual gift, just in the demeanor that we're to have as people who follow Christ. There's so much more that goes to it than just saying, I have the gift of teaching. Everybody shut up and listen. (laughs) Immediately you've alienated an audience. Why? Because there's nothing Christ-like about that. There's nothing spiritual that's coming forward. And so this week we're going to look at verses 9 through 13, and then next week we're going to look at 14 through 21 and talk about what is to characterize the body of Christ. Because what we're actually going to see is these are game changers as far as how we deal with one another. Now, I don't know if you'll remember this, and if you do, you're not a Satan worshiper. It's okay. I got your attention. I think it was 1982 or 83, 83. I was at my grandmother's house. I'm hanging out with all my cousins and all that. And we're watching like the American Music Awards or something like that. And that's back when you could actually watch them, okay? And I was so excited because they had Michael Jackson coming on, right? Michael Jackson's on. All of a sudden, everybody, shh, 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 shh. We all want to listen to Michael Jackson perform. Now, of course, I know now he's lip syncing, but at the time, I didn't have a clue. Six years old, I'm about it, right? He comes on, and he's singing Billie Jean. Ooh, we love this song, right? It's all over MTV at that time. We're loving it. And all of a sudden, in the little musical interlude of this song, he busts out the moonwalk. How many people here know what moonwalking is? Okay, I'm not talking about Buzz Aldrin, okay? Some of you are like, I remember that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. 83, not 69, okay? What did you think when you first saw that? It's amazing. He did that, and I was just like, right? And immediately all of us are, how did he do that? How did he do that? And he does a little thing where he gets up on his toes and all that stuff, right? What is going on? It's not human. And so, well, maybe he did. Well, maybe he tried this. Well, maybe it's really this. Well, maybe it's a camera, camera trick. Or we talked about that for a solid hour. How in the world did he do this? Next thing you know, I'm going back to school, and I noticed as the weeks went on, all of my classmates were becoming Michael Jackson. <laughs> Somebody went and bought his jacket. Somebody's like grandmother had made a white glove and put like little sparklies on it, you know, sequins or whatever. As kids are trying to moonwalk down the hallway. I'm like, what is going on now? They're falling over and whatever because they can't do it. And I thought, good grief, when I saw it, it was amazing. But thinking about what it did to the culture of people who saw it at that time and how widely viewed it was, it was a game changer. It was an absolute game changer for culture at that time. One of my greatest desires in all of my heart is not that we would all become moonwalkers. It's not it. I know. But Jay, you can practice at home and let me know how it goes, okay? You come in and bust it out on us. 
but that the church would actually recognize what a church is supposed to be like. Because it seems like everything that gets plastered up about this church did this, and this church did this. We have the real cool youth pastor who rode his motorcycle in on the youth lock-in and actually took out a wall right? trying to ride a wheel. Everybody see that video? Gosh, that's horrible. Don't watch it. It's terrible. But a lot of things that are promoted as church are not church. And what's amazing is, is when I look at the Bible, I sit here and think, good grief. If this was something that we pursued because the truth lays it out, what a game changer that would be. What a culture redefining entity the body of Christ would become. Now remember, what is the dichotomy here? The world and God. The world and God. This is what he's been lining out here. And what we're going to find is everything we're going to look at in this list, both this week and next week. We, we would read through this in devotional reading. <coughs> we might think, ah, whatever. Ah, it's kind of, yeah, it should be like that. Yeah, and this is what it's supposed to look like. And we would go on. And I would pray that the Holy Spirit would strike us with the truthfulness of what's happening here. Now, I'm going to say that, and let me give you a little sales pitch, okay? There's a guy named Kenneth Woost, W-U-E-S-T. And he has written some books where he goes through and he deals with the entire New Testament in the Greek language. You don't have to know Greek to get that resource and read it. But his comments through this and how he deals with it are incredibly helpful. If for no other reason of all of his original work, there's another guy named Vincent who wrote something on the Greek New Testament, and everything that's important that Vincent said, he quotes in this work. So you're actually getting two works in one. So if you can get a hold of this and sit down and read through passages and let this set through whenever you're curious about what words are, it's worth its weight in gold to help us in this. And as I started to go through and look at each one of the words that's being used here, I thought, good grief, there's a treasure trove that is inexhaustible and how we need to understand the church, and how if we just really believe, wow, this is the word of God, and this is what God has done in the body of Christ, and this is what God desires to be the surrounding culture by which we exercise spiritual gifts, everything would be different. Everything would be different. Notice the very first thing he says in verse 9. Some of your translations are going to be a little bit different, but notice it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, if you have the New American Standard Version, you'll notice that you have two words in italics. Let and be. Everybody see that? Beatles love those words. Don't worry about them. Read it without that. Love without hypocrisy. Now, ask the question. Who in this room that is part of the body of Christ with you should we not love? Let's go ahead and single them out now. Can we do that? You know why we don't do that? Because we know the answer is no one. And we also know that that's the way that the world acts. Did you notice that the world was promoting love for so long and then something has switched recently to where we've got to find certain people to demonize and hate? Everybody see that? In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you, the demonizing and the hating was actually what was going on behind what they were promoting as love. Because everything they were promoting as love was not what the scripture calls love. Anybody want to guess what the Greek word is for love here? Take a stab at it. 
No. Agape. What is that? It's a selfless love with no strings attached that expects nothing in return. Now, if anything, we know that that right there is supernatural. That's something that we cannot conjure on our own. We're told by Jesus, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. And so you'll prove to be my disciples. This is how the world's going to know, by your love for one another. Now, is he telling us to love one another in degree? That's impossible. Jesus gave his life in dying for everyone, okay? So we can't love to that degree. But is he talking about our love and demeanor to one another? Absolutely. Absolutely, love is the essential ingredient that makes a good batter in order to have our spiritual gifts well planted so they cook just right. In fact, what would your pancakes look like without love? Anybody ever made loveless pancakes? Why does that happen in the body of Christ? Should it? Or should there be more? You know what that tells me? Is that right now my issue is I need to examine my heart and say, Lord, do I love people with an unhypocritical love? Some of your translations will say genuine love. Some of your translations will say sincere love. All of those are perfectly viable and valid translations of this. <clears throat> love. The very first thing he brings up after spiritual gifts is love. In fact, we're going to see this again. If you're familiar with how 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are set up, 1 Corinthians 12, he deals with the understanding of spiritual gifts. What's 13 about? Love. Everybody see the necessary connection? Wow, we have this amazing supernatural ability. I have the ability to do this because the Holy Spirit has given me this blessing of which I could bless others in the body of Christ, which makes me a pretty awesome person in God's eyes, I guess. So now I can get to work serving him faithfully and all you need to listen to what I have to say because I'm right and God gave it to me. Is that love? No. Does everybody see why Paul wants to temper this grand opportunity of this gift being used for everyone with the idea that if love is not surrounding it, you got a problem. It's not good. It's got to be unhypocritical. It needs to be genuine. Guess what the prayer is? Lord, right now I recognize I don't have genuine love for my brothers and sisters. Help me. Supply it for me. Show me this supernatural realm that I can operate in. Notice what it says after that. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. In other words, hate strongly. That's actually one of the translations here. Get rid of those things that are evil. One of the best things you can do, take a piece of paper that you have, sit down, right up at the top, evil stuff. That's good, right? And then start listing off all the things that we entertain in our lives that we know are not pleasing to God. And I think what we recognize is maybe if we really thought about it and we're really humble about it, there's a lot more things than what we think we entertain in our lives. I actually realize, well, that's kind of neutral. There are some things that are neutral, so to speak. You're not harming anything. I'm not saying that we've got to have our noses in our Bibles every moment of the day, but it would help. It would help at least to have it going through our minds all the time. Because by the renewing of the mind, we actually become more discerning. Saturating our minds with Scripture helps us understand greater the Word of God. Notice it's all in the context of this idea. What are the things that are evil? Get away from it. Hate it completely. What are the things that are good? 
requires a separate list, right? Cling to those things. Cleave to those things. In fact, this is the same Greek word that's used in some situations for cement. Cement yourself to the things that are good. Look what he says in verse 10. And this is a very odd Greek word. Be devoted to one another. Everybody see one another? In verse 5, we had one of another. Right here, we've got one another. We've actually got it twice in this verse. One another, it's going to happen again in verse 16 when we see it next week. Be devoted to one another. Does anybody have something different besides be devoted to one another? Share it with me, please. What's that? Brotherly love. That's actually probably the better translation here. The reason is, is because the Greek word is a compound word. Philostorges is what it is. And it comes from philos, which is the idea of having an affection for one. But storge is also a word for love in Greek that is not included in the New Testament whatsoever. Paul really wanted to get the love factor to be over the top for it. And so he takes both of them and he sticks them together and he comes up with a unique word that is not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. He says here, be of great abounding affection, if we wanted to say it that way, with one another. He says here, in brotherly love. Does that sound redundant? Yes? No? Who's asleep? Does it sound redundant to you? Love, 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 love. Some of you might have a kindred affection. Does anybody have a kindred affection or a kind affection? The idea of the word kind comes from a root word that deals with the idea of being in kin with someone or somebody that's part of family. And the whole idea here for the body of, for the body of Christ, for the body of Christ, is the idea that we would have this affection like you do with a familial connectedness to it. I mean, let's be honest. There's some family members that can even make you mad. You still love them, right? Like, I love you so much. I don't like you right now. You can do that. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. You get to do that, right? Notice the body of Christ needs to be stuck together with love. Love inside of love layered with love. It's to be characterized amongst one another. He says here, give preference to one another in honor. In other words, everyone's better than me. They get to go first through the meal line. We okay with that? Okay. No, after you. No, after you. Holding the door for one another. Husbands, when you go outside to leave, open the car door for your wife. Why? Show her honor. Prefer her better than you. Lift her up in that way. The word honor has value to it, has weight to it. That's where the word honor comes from, is recognizing the idea that there's profound value in doing this, of esteeming another greater than yourselves. You know what's interesting about that? Isn't that so much different from the world? Isn't the world always me first? One of the most dangerous things we've ever had come in our in our culture is not just social media, but especially TikTok. It's one of the most dangerous things. Why? Because everybody wants to be a celebrity and everybody will do the stupidest things, the most morally degrading things that they can to say, how many people looked at me? Solomon has a word for that. It's called vanity. It's here one minute, 
and then it's gone. And the question is, is how you can always try to be at the top of your game. Anybody, I mean, I don't mean to bring up something like weird. Anybody seen Madonna lately? She's trying to be at the top of her game. She's not. I hope she doesn't see that. But it's true. She'll probably use her money and send somebody to kill me. But it's true. That woman is not at the top of her game anymore. Nor should she be. Why? Because she's in her 60s or 70s. It's okay. Hey, it's okay not to be at the top of your game. Be who you are. But for her, notice it's always, who's looking at me? How much am I in the news? What do the tabloids have to say? What's going on online? How many Twitter hits do I have? How many people looked at my status on Facebook? If anything, we're really trying hard to exercise agape love with ourselves. Notice one another, one another, one another, one another. That means I'm not even a factor. That means what I want and my desires are not even a factor or a preference that should even be on my radar. In fact, I found that all my relationships get screwed up when I put myself first. What is what I want? Is that operating in the spirit? No, I'm the furthest thing away. Isn't that what Satan said? I want, I want, I will, I will. Me, 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 me. And you wonder who's running this world, running this age. See, the most frightening thing, I think, is when I see a lot of churches in America, they resemble the attitude of Satan more than they do the selflessness of Christ. That is not to be even named among us, and we need to be aware of this. Because you cannot successfully operate spiritual gifts in a self-centered culture. We are to be the counterculture. And you know what's so counterculture about this compared to the world? We're resting on truth. It's not real intricate and hard. It's just the fact that we have the Word of God, we believe it's the Word of God, and we start living as the Word of God is the fact that defines how we are and what we are and what we do. How about the next part here? This is a great one. Not lagging behind in diligence. This is the slow pokey part, right? Not being slothful. It's easy as a Christian in order to kind of get satisfied with the status quo. Or to say, well, as far as, let's see here, loving without hypocrisy and abhorring the things that are evil, I promise you there's always new evil things that want to creep up and take the place of the things that we got out of the way. As far as clinging to good, we don't have enough good things to cling to. We need more of it, that's for sure. Instead of being devoted in this amazing layered love relationship as a family would be, instead of giving preference to somebody else, I think I'm just going to chill out for a little bit and and, and hang back. I'm going to let that lag. Notice Paul says no. That's the danger. The danger is is becoming slow in these things. It's thinking that they're not that important. So go back to our analogy. You got the griddle fired up, yeah? It's at the right temperature. I think it's 350 if I remember correctly. Been a while since I did pancakes. And you go to pour your contents of your bowl out on there in order to make some pancakes and there's no batter. How does that work? You just got burning blueberries. That's all you got. Is that any good? Anybody want to eat that? No. 
In fact, notice this. Isn't there something about the batter that surrounds the contents that you added to spice it up that actually helps to protect that additive so that it cooks more evenly? Yes? Isn't that interesting? By itself, it'll burn. But you surround spiritual gifts with these type of attitudes, and we're diligent about it. We're on top of it. We're not saying, no, we can just let that go. No, we can't let it go. Truth says not to let it go. We actually find out that the spiritual gifts operate more fluidly because of what's surrounding it. I'm really milking this pancake thing for everything it's worth, okay? I'm really going for it here. Hey, I'm getting hungry. (laughs) I'm not going to preach much longer, don't worry. So, not lagging behind, indiligence. Notice here, fervent in spirit. The word fervent. Wu says this means like you're boiling with water. It's got to be hot. Not just red hot. Not just artificial blue hot. White hot. White hot in spirit. Now you might say, okay, wait a second. I get it. I'm supposed to be all about it. I'm supposed to be all in on this. But in spirit, let's be honest. We're still kind of nebulous about what that means. What does that mean? I just so happen to have a quote that I pulled from Woos' book to show you why it's so valuable that you read something like this along with your New Testament. Can we bring that up? <clears throat> the word spirit, pneuma, refers to the human spirit as that part of man which gives him God consciousness. In other words, your spirit is what's in tune with God. Now, we've seen the spirit, soul, body, concentric circles. I didn't want to add them here because I know that I've kind of OD'd you all on that for a while. I'll wait to another time. Uh, but the spirit is where the Holy Spirit comes sets up shop and resides so that his spirit and our spirit testify that we are children of God, as Romans 8 tells us, okay? So it's our God consciousness or to the attitude or disposition of a man as the man's spirit is good. Or another meaning it could possibly be is to the Holy Spirit. So anytime that we see spirit in the text, we got to ask ourselves, are we speaking about the human spirit? Are we speaking about the Holy Spirit? And this is why this little book This little collection of books is very helpful to have. The definite article appears before it in the Greek text. Would you know that by looking at your Bible? Everybody know what a definite article is? T-H-E, the. It's what Greek would use for the before that. So notice if you were looking here in this idea, fervent in the spirit. Notice it doesn't translate it that way, does it? It just says fervent in spirit. But in the Greek, if you were to look at it, the definite article is there. Why does that matter? The absence of the Greek definite article emphasizes character. If it has the article, who does it emphasize then? The Holy Spirit. That means that if you have a lowercase s on this verse in your Bible, you need to take an ink pen and write over the top of it an uppercase. It's actually to be capitalized. We are to be fervent in the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a really cool thing for us to understand about the text. What does that mean? What does it mean to be fervent in the things of the Holy Spirit? To be white hot? To be boiling over with the things of the Holy Spirit? What in the world does that mean? What does that look like? Is it like that scene in the Blues Brothers where they go and attend James Brown's church? Is that what it's supposed to look like? Is that being fervent in the Spirit? Looks fun, but it's not fervent in the Spirit. What does it mean to be fervent in the Holy Spirit? What's that? Excited? Yes. But notice it's pointing us in a direction on fire. Yes, I'm not asking you to give me any elaboration on fervent. We know what that means. 
What does it mean to be fervent in the Spirit? Here's the thing. Think about this, guys. If we can't determine what that is, how in the world will we ever exercise the spiritual gifts that the Spirit gave to us? I mean, we're dealing with the proceeding context after the idea of these gifts that were mentioned. So it's obviously important. What's that? Be involved in. I'm not looking for words other than fervent for this. What does it mean to be fervent, white hot, in the Holy Spirit? Why don't we know? Shouldn't that be concerning? Tell us. (laughs) Shortcut Scott over here. Tell us. I'm curious what you think about this. If we're to be fervent in the Holy Spirit, doesn't that kind of lead to the idea of, I need to know the things that the Holy Spirit's about, yes? What is the Holy Spirit about? What does the Holy Spirit do in Scripture? Okay, directs us, guides us, yes? Teaches us, yes? Convicts us, convicts the world, right? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Praise for us. Ah, the Spirit prays for us when we don't know how to pray, yes? Romans 8. So when we find that we're so overwhelmed by tribulation or travesty, God only know how to come to you, but I'm coming to you. You don't need to freak out about it. The Holy Spirit is praying perfectly according to the will of God for you. Man, that's awesome. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Hold on, real quick. Empowers us, yes. Back. Points to Christ always. The Holy Spirit is never the center of attention. The Holy Spirit always points us to Christ. What else do we have? Discernment, yes. What did the Holy Spirit inspire? The Word of God. What does the Holy Spirit do when someone believes in Christ? It encourages, yes, after the fact, but you're born again, yes. And dwells us. The Holy Spirit actually lives inside of every one of us. Every believer in Christ dwells inside of us, takes the Word of God, and transforms us from the inside out. Only God is the heart changer. And He uses the Word of God on the outside coming in, and the Spirit of God, who He's already got as His inside man dealing with it, because it's God, right? Fusing them together, and you got spiritual dynamite. Be fervent about the things of the Holy Spirit. Do you think we have a little bit better understanding of what it is to be white hot about those things? What's the Spirit all about? That's what I need to be all about. And I need to give it everything that I possibly can. And when the Spirit tells me to go here, and I'm sitting here thinking, there's no way I'm going down there. I submit. When the Holy Spirit leads me to something in the text that changes my theology, well, I had this perfectly constructed and crafted. No, 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 no. If the Spirit is leading you and the Word of God is coming alive in your life, submit yourself to that fully. Or let's say it this way. Cast off all worldly constraints and be abandoned to the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not charismatic. Somebody bring in your Hillsong worship and lead me off in some weird levitation thing. That's not what this is. This is a whole idea of doing it according to the Word of God, but submitting to that, fervent for the Spirit's leading. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you were hungry for the Holy Spirit to act in your life? Daily? I hope so. Does the Holy Spirit want to work with you daily? Oh, absolutely. God's desire of his heart to lead us all into spiritual growth. He never like, yeah, spiritual growth, spiritual growth, spiritual growth. Stunted growth. Spiritual growth, spiritual growth. He doesn't do that. 
He doesn't want anybody left behind in this process. But notice that a lot of it comes down to, do we want it? Do we truly believe that God's way is a different way? This is the culture that is to set up the church. We're to long for the word of God as newborn babes. Isn't that what Peter tells us? Anybody ever tried to feed a baby? Good googly moogly. Bottle! Bah! Do we do that with the word of God? Give it to me. Give it to me in regular increments. Are we white hot about the things of God? If we're not, please listen to me. If we're not, understand that the world is not. And we really did sit here and ask the question, man, if I'm not on fire for God's word, if I'm not on fire for the things that the Spirit wants to do within the body of Christ, who am I more resembling here? Now, how do you get out of that funk if that's you? You pray. You ask God to be the difference. Be honest with him. I am not white hot about the things of the Spirit of God. Help! You think he'll answer that? Absolutely. Don't you think he wants to answer that? Yes. Somebody's finally in a position where they want to be worked with. We often come to God to do, oh God, I was going along in life and this trap door fell out from under me and I don't know how to deal. Please save me out of this situation so I can go on living this pseudo-Christian but really ultimately pagan lifestyle. You think God's excited about that? No, he's not. He's not. He's not. And this is why he allows for our sin and the incredible providence of his orchestration that can't even be understood to lead us into paths where we're finally at a rock bottom of saying, I've exhausted every opportunity. God, it's not going to be different unless you make it different. Now that person can be brought up. Now that person can grow solid. Beforehand, they wanted to cut God off at every time he was trying to just get your can back. Don't touch me. You get off my life. Stay out of my marriage. Stop messing with my work. What's sad is there's a point where God says, okay. And he takes a step back. Let's see how it's going to work out. The great thing about something like this, thinking about what is it to be white hot in the spirit and asking the question of whether or not I am, is that hopefully we would be wise enough to say it doesn't have to get rock bottom for me to take him up on that. Does it have to get to that point? No, we recognize where we're wrong. We repent of it. We have a change of mind of that. And we submit ourselves to him. Probably that abhorring what is evil and clinging what to good, what is good needs to be a response to that to bring ourselves more in alignment with that. But we can't just afford to go through a list like this. Yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. And move on. No, 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 no. Take the time to deal with it. Notice the next thing. Serving who? <laughs> who said that? Deb, you said that? Thank you. Where were y'all? Serving who? Serving who? Who's the Lord? See, you're actually preaching this sermon, not me. Who's the Lord? Have you ever thought about we get to serve him? Think it. How do we treat ministry sometimes? I guess I better. Good grief. You think somebody's running our faces across a meat grinder. It's terrible. We get to serve the Lord. We get to serve the Lord. Ethno students, 
You get to serve the Lord. You don't have to. You could drop it all right now and walk away. You get the privilege of serving him. Is there anybody else that you can think of in all of existence that's worth serving like the Lord? No. And we get to. You get to. Some of us are scared to death of evangelism. Guess what? If we would submit that fear to the Lord and pray that he would open a door and provide us with the opportunity to speak boldly as Paul requests in prayer, all of a sudden we would find that we're evangelism machines. Why is it? Because I'm worried about serving the Lord. I'm not worried about how I'm going to look. I'm not worried about stumbling over my words. I'm not worried about if I've got my method or the right scriptures down. I'm worried about serving him. And we are worried about a lot of things in this life besides God. About a lot of things. We get to serve the Lord. This is not a point to be lost in a series of commands that's given out here. You get to serve the Lord. The question is, are you? Are you serving the Lord? Who is the king? That's a rhetorical question. Right now in your life, who is the king that you get to serve? In this day and age, we need more servants of the Lord. White hot with the Spirit, sold out, preferring one another over others. And love needs to coat this entire thing because that's not what the world is doing. What did Jesus say? By this, they will know that you are my disciples. You know what that tells me? Love within the body of Christ is a powerful evangelism tool because it attracts a dying and self-poisoning world. You might notice that our, our world is bent on poisoning themselves. Any type of debauchery they can be involved in. Well, I'll take that. Yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah, no problem. And it never leads to anything positive. It's always bad. The church is to be different. And this should bring us to an incredibly sober point. I know it's early in the morning. But think with me, church. If this is not Grace Bible Church, and if there is some dissonance between us and the Scriptures, then the exercising of our spiritual gifts is futile. Because love needs to be abounding in an unhypocritical way, in a genuine way amongst our congregation. Why? So that we can counterculture this world, this city of Portage, to Christ. Christ is not seen in worldly methods. Notice that Paul wants to lead us in a greater way. He says here, rejoicing in hope. Hope is future. Hope is certain. It's not, I hope the Packers win today. We're almost certain on that one, right? Playing the Vikings, by the way. Oh, yeah, amen. I just got saved, yeah. <clears throat> Rejoicing in hope. That's the future. It's certain. Look what he says now. next after that. Persevering, sticking with it in what? Tribulation. That's present. Rejoicing in hope because it's certain in its future. It's locked up by the promise of Jesus Christ. Persevering in tribulation because that's right now. In fact, we're told in Timothy, everyone who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution for Christ Jesus. We're told by Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who persecute you, for you will receive your reward. He looks to reward believers who take the brunt of it for the sake of Christ. So now we might be persevering for this tribulation. Don't cut it off. Don't get out of it quickly. Don't pull out your credit card and charge your way. 
to some sort of salvation or rescue out of that situation, persevere. Stick with the Lord because, understand this, that's the first thing the world's going to ask you to give up. Just give up the Lord and you'll get right out of this whole thing. You don't think it's coming. It's coming. It's here. It's manifesting itself. Rejoice in the future hope. Be aware of the present and persevere through that. But notice what it says to cap that little part off. Devoted. Sold out. Continuing steadfastly in what? Prayer. Because we cannot pray enough, nor do we pray enough. At all times, praying. At all times, asking for God's help, asking His opinion, adoring Him, worshiping Him, thanking Him for all things, confessing sin to Him in all things. Saturated in a life of prayer. Notice that prayer is the way that you persevere unto the coming hope. Does everybody see that? In fact, let's be honest. If you're to rejoice in a future state that is not yet, and we understand that as the millennial kingdom of Christ, and you're to persevere through a present tribulation that's going on in your life without prayer, I don't know how you can make that work. How can you have a rejoicing attitude in the midst of a tribulation if you're not talking to God about it regularly? You can't. Notice how it all streams together. The last one, verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints. Everybody see that word contributing? Koinoneo, which is where we get the word koinonia. We understand that a little bit better. But it's the idea of to have a share in or to be a partner in or to enter into fellowship with. That's why I entitled this sermon in next week's is a koinonia culture, a fellowship sharing in partnership culture that the church is supposed to have. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Stop for a second. Do you know brothers and sisters that are in need right now? What are we called to do? Pray about it. No. You're not. Prayer is too often an excuse for being obedient. I'm to be contributing. Contributing. Getting involved. Personally invested. As the body of Christ worried about if I've got a hangnail on my pinky finger, guess what? These fingers better get busy in doctrining that and putting salve on it so that it heals. It's no different with the body of Christ. Though we are many members, we are still one. One part hurts, the other part needs to get involved and minister, fellowship into this idea. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Everybody see the word they're practicing? Everybody see that word? Notice that your marginal note here has the idea of literally pursuing. That's the better translation here. The Greek word here means the idea of moving in rapidly because you're honed in on a target, a bullseye that you need to hit. It's the idea when you see a need and that's the bullseye out in front of you, you're there to hit it. You're there to meet it. There's nothing that's going to stand in your way because you are doing whatever it takes to cast off the things that would keep you from being hospitality to your brother or sister in Christ. Real quick, hospitality is the idea of a fond affection. In fact, it's a very interesting word, philozene. It has the idea of love attached to it. In other words, again, the ministering that we do is to be in white hot pursuit of wanting to meet those needs in a loving way. And this is talking about practical needs. Does somebody need food? Does somebody need clothes? Does somebody need shelter? Does somebody need water? It's talking about the body of Christ 
being inside for ministry. Now I say that, and let me say this, and then we'll finish. We have this recent resurgence of this idea of social justice. Okay? And I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm against it. This whole idea that the body of Christ is to be expending a lot of resources and time and energy and money providing for the practical needs of people outside of the body of Christ. I'm having a hard time finding anywhere in the Scriptures where that's commanded. Where the inside believers, body of Christ, believers in Christ, are cast aside in favor for those outside. Why aren't we supposed to do all these wonderful things for people so that they will hear our message and our evangelism? Okay, great. That sounds good. Is it biblical? Is it biblical in how we handle those things? Well, what does it help if we give them the message of the gospel, but we don't show them that we care? Who set the precedence for that type of thinking? Anytime that you go to share the gospel with somebody, isn't that showing that you care about them in a way that probably other people don't? Aren't you really addressing the situation of their eternal destiny? Because when we're not taking up the Spirit and His prompting for sharing the gospel, what we're saying is the lake of fire is a good place to spend the rest of your being. Is that right? It's not very loving, is it? No. And so by sharing the gospel, we are exercising the most loving thing we could possibly do. Because we talk about sending humanitarian aid to a lot of people, and we, when we talk about how we're going to go over there and help a lot of people in all these different countries. There was a ministry out of Nashville at one point called Bloodwater Mission. And my wife and I, since we were only two hours away from Nashville where we used to live, we got on board with that. We went to concerts to help support that, fundraising, trying to be contributors, getting regular updates about that. Because what they did is they would go over into Africa and they would dig these freshwater wells so that these women didn't have to spend eight hours a day carrying these, these buckets on top of their shoulders or on top of their head, going to a place that was so far away in order to get diseased water to bring back. And because they really had no way to successfully heat it or to make sure all the impurities were out of it, they were just slowly killing themselves and their children by this. And so by helping support this, they come in and they set up all these freshwater wells right there in their village. They don't have to go very far. Next thing you know, they've got clean water going on. Everybody's health and life is improving. It's fantastic. Does that sound like a good thing? It sounds like a great thing. And then my wife and I got in the conversation and we started asking the question that we wanted answered. What do you think it looks like? To be there on the ground, to do this, to see these people's faces for the first time, they're like, oh my gosh, my entire way of life is now changing. And what does that look like for this awesome open door to now share Jesus Christ with them as the only Savior? So I called them and I asked them, yeah, we're regular supporters of yours and we're just curious. What does it look like to share the gospel there in Africa on the ground when these things happen? And they say, oh, it's fantastic. I said, can you tell me about it? Well, yeah, we, we, we do the water. They start telling me all about doing the wells. And, and the water. I was like, I, I don't mean to stop you, but I know all that. I know that. I know what you guys do. I'm talking about what does an opportunity look like when you actually verbalize the gospel to these people? You have their undivided attention because what you've just accomplished amongst them how do they respond? Oh, well, well, we show them Jesus by what we do. And I said, but what do you tell them? 
What, what, what is the message that you give them? I thought I'd miss something. I thought she was talking here, I'm talking here. That's usually how my conversations go, so I'm just doing that. <clears throat> she said, oh, well, we don't tell them anything like that. We don't share the gospel with them. They see Jesus in what we do. You go over there and you dig a freshwater well for people in Africa who desperately need it in order to improve their lifespan and everything else about their culture to help them out. Do they walk away and go, wow, Jesus is amazing? No, they don't. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. So anytime that we're going about exercising hospitality with people, wanting to care and love for people, supply for people, if we are not giving them the gospel, we have just wasted all the resources that God has blessed us with for that opportunity. Let there be no question about that. And as far as the helping of one another, it is to be in within the body situation before it is ever an outside the body situation. I know plenty of people within the body of Christ right now that need some genuine help. The question is, does the body of Christ want to respond exercising spiritual gifts with an unfeigned love to help one another? That's a question we got to answer. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for a list like this that gives us a surrounding culture of which spiritual gifts are exercised. We think about the idea of a selfless love that is genuine. We think about doing away with those things that are evil, recognizing an inventory needs to be taken in our lives. And we cast those things out so that we can cling to those things which are truly good. Lord, that we would be enveloped in a familial love relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would be on fire for the things of your spirit. That we would not slack or be slothful in these things. Lord, that we would rejoice in our future hope. Lord, that we would stick with it in the midst of hardship right now. That we would devote ourselves to prayer that we would stop making excuses about why our knees can't hit the floor before a holy and righteous God. Father, that we would find the needs of the saints, those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ, and that we would contribute to those things, and we would do so lovingly, and we would do so practically, and we would do so rejoicing in the common hope of our salvation, and that we would pursue with all that we could possibly muster, as quickly as we could possibly hit that bullseye, hospitality. Help us to remember that we're serving you. Father, convict us if we're not serving you. And correct us so that we can now serve you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.